What's up, guys? Matt Sutton here, and welcome back to Mastering You, the Lifestyle Performance Podcast. So in this week's episode, we have another Members Spotlight episode. So we've only done a few of these today. I really want to do more of these. Um, I love talking to our members. I love sharing their stories, and I love giving them the opportunity to share the lessons that they've learned with you, our valued listeners. And in today's episode, I'm talking to Sarah Coggins. So Sarah's been an LPT member for a couple of years now, and she shares her story from alcoholism to sobriety. Uh, I think she's four, four or five years sober now. And um, I just think, well, firstly, I, I've been wanting to discuss this topic, and I think this is a topic that I'll be doing more episodes and discussions on because even if you feel like you're not on the brink of alcoholism, I think it's always good, like in any area of your health and wellness, to have check-ins just to make sure that you're not on a slippery slope. Um, whether it's sugar, whether it's relationships, you know, we have to keep things in check. And as we know, with alcohol, it can be a slippery slope. So, you know, the question is when is too much too much? Um, and so also with the impact of mental health and you know, it's been in the news lately of the increase in sales in alcohol. Um, I think much of it as a result of the last 12 months and the stress and people losing their jobs and the uncertainty. But the question is, you know, how do we turn things around if we feel like things need to change? So I really hope in this episode that you're inspired and I'm pretty sure everyone would learn stuff. I certainly learned some some interesting things. Sarah is so open and transparent about her journey to sobriety in this episode. So I think, you know, you'll really enjoy the fact of that. And um, she shares an incident that changed everything for her. And she also learns, like I said, many lessons along the way. So hope you enjoy this episode. Um, just before I go into it, uh, a couple of things. So firstly, we had a few technical hitches halfway through. So because it is such an important topic and one I feel that many people need to listen to, then what we're going to do is do a two-part to this episode. So uh, check out the next episode of Mastering You where we do a follow-up episode to this one, okay, um, just so that we don't miss out anything. And then the second thing is more of a request. So if you have been enjoying these episodes, if you enjoy the show, um, I just have an ask for you. If you can go head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, uh, share with your friends and you know what type of wisdom and awesomeness and strategies that you get out of listening to this show, that would mean the world to me. So anyway... Let's get into today's show without further ado with Sarah Coggins. All right, here we are. Sarah, how are you? <laughs> Thank I'm you right. for joining the members. podcast. Oh, you really shouldn't be. Thanks. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's always a pleasure to have our LPT members on the podcast. I think this is the third time now, so it's fantastic. Um, particularly when sharing stuff that's sort of quite personal and, but, you know, for you guys to be really open about your journey and your story and your lessons, that's ultimately, I guess, why I started the podcast is so that people could, we could talk to people about, you know, their journey this, and what lessons they've learned. And then hopefully someone listening will gain some benefits and that will impact their life and, and so on. So, um, so obviously the, the, the main subject we're talking about today is, is around the topic of addiction and alcoholism and, and your you know, f- fantastic journey of sobriety. How, remind me, remind me how many years now we are. So just over four years sober. Um, but I've been what how we call it, I've been in AA um for six years. So I've had a couple of a few breaks. Yeah. A couple of weeks off here and a yeah. and a night off there. But once once you know, once you pick up again, you're back to counting from day one in terms of your sobriety time. Right. So okay. over six years, in those six years, I've um, drunk for uh, probably seven or eight days. Right. Wow. In the last six years, but nothing for the last four. Okay. So, well, yeah, where we started really is um, is obviously, you know, if you don't mind sharing, like, what was it that sort of started you like what what kicked this off in terms of where, where did the, the the problem start i suppose is the best question i can ask um i've always been around alcohol um ever since i was ever since i can remember first memories you know um we my parents as, as youngsters we were in the church choir so we would go to church on sundays come back and before Sunday lunch, everybody would crack open a bottle of wine and at say six or seven, we were having a little port and lemon. You know, okay, it was only like a little drop, but it's always been around in my life. Um, I come from a very rural area up north where there was nothing to do. So at the age of 15, 16, um, you're socialising in the pub. So I was going in pubs from the age of 16. So for me, alcohol was always part of, a normal way of life. I never saw it as being anything other than that. Um, four years at doing my undergraduate degree in Scotland. Again, lots of big drinking culture up there. Um, I worked in a hotel my year out. Um, so my, my life has always kind of been around that. Um, then it di- I suppose it didn't really get seriously serious until about uh so what i'm now six so it's probably 16 years ago to count my sobriety and my time in and then the time before that um but i i'd always been around friends family and an environment where there's a lot of drinking so i was um my main career had been in marketing and marketing for professional services so big global accountancy firms big global law firms in london lots of drinking culture there um and then when i moved out of london it gave me the opportunity to follow the hobby that i wanted to follow which was medieval reenactment and it's a big drinking culture medieval reenactment as well um 
That's but quite a then shift. As <laughs> I was getting old, <laughs> so as I was getting older, though, it's I was finding the wise for drinking were changing. So I'd always been fairly able to handle a decent quantity, um, but it was the wise. The wise were going from being sociable to being. Um, I would have a couple of drinks before I go out to get a bit of Dutch courage. Um, if I was at work still, I might have a couple of drinks because it would calm my nerves. Um, I was finding I needed it to boost confidence. And then as the years go on, um, you're finding any excuse. Oh, it's been a bad day. I'll have a drink. Oh, it's been a great day. I've had a really good, successful day today. I'll have a drink. Oh, it's it's Wednesday. We're halfway through the week. One won't, one won't harm. It's nearly the weekend. Um you know it's somebody's birthday you know it's five o'clock somewhere type thing but then that's really interesting like <laughs> yeah that's really interesting that you would say like the what the wise i've never heard that sort of it makes complete sense when you say it that it, you know being aware of your whys because like you say it's a it's a bit like a lot of different things in life in life isn't it you as you go through your life the whys behind your actions change and you're not always aware uh, of those whys are you no and 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 that's that's the thing and they creep up so um so slowly that you and 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 you know it got to it was really i realized i recognized i, I truly did have a problem when i was on my own when i split it with with, with my ex-husband i thought well that's great because and, and this is a story you hear a lot in the rooms is it's somebody else's fault. Now that he's not around, I won't drink so much. And, and, it, and it, it when he was actually the one that was almost tempering it and it just went completely stratospheric once, once I was on my own and I had nobody there sort of to even cast a, um, an eye on, you know, or, or question how much you're drinking or what you're drinking or what have you and you know there's lots of excuses that you make and lots of people that you blame when it's actually just yourself that is the issue and and the point was that I didn't like living with myself and the way to avoid living with myself was to blot it out with the alcohol and so it was going from being able to remember every night to every night being just a blackout Right. And was that a turning point for you when you realized that you, you're, you were kind of getting in your own way more than anything else and, and that the work had to start on you sort of being comfortable, I suppose, with yourself? <laughs> no, no, I needed, okay. um, I needed intervention. And that intervention came in the form of a night in the cells in Corby. Having been arrested for drink driving. Right. Okay. No. <laughs> so well, we all. Yeah. I can laugh about it now. Um. But it it was it was the wake up call I needed, and a lot of people said at the time, "Oh, you know, you should challenge it because you got arrested on your drive." I've I've been I've managed to get myself over to Wellingborough and back. Um. And you know what? A lot of a, a, a lot of similarities that you find with alcoholics is is that we're people pleasers and we just want to make everybody happy and fix everybody um to the detriment of fixing ourselves and what i'd done was somebody that i knew had been in touch and 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 were basically threatening suicide so regardless of the fact that i wasn't 
um, wow. legal to drive. I got in the car and went over there. Um, they were not in any way about to do anything like that, but there was, and there wasn't an argument, but there was, I wasn't able to stay, even though I knew I wasn't capable really, and I shouldn't be on the road to drive back. Um, and I don't know how, how far I've been followed home, but as I say, I, I, I got arrested and breathalyzed on my drive. And people say, well, you know, cause you were arrested and breathalyzed on your drive, then you should challenge. And I was like, why would I challenge something that turned my life around? Mm. That was the catalyst for so much improvement in my life. Um, so that, yeah, that was my rock bottom. Was it um, like you almost But you needed don't always that. have to have a rock bottom. Oh yeah, definitely. I don't think I would have stopped if if I hadn't, if that hadn't have happened. Do you think it would have been another rock bottom? Yeah. Do you think because like there'll be people that maybe have had had that situation, but then that hasn't been enough for them to stop. And you, you obviously hear stories all the time about you know thing you know certain circumstances similar to that, and then it. it you know, unfortunately, it doesn't make a difference. Why do you think that made a difference for you? Why do you think that was a, what, why was that a big turning point? I think because I'd always seen myself as somebody who didn't break the law, who, who, who didn't really take risks. And I could have excused all my other drinking behavior on the basis of it's just what everybody else is doing but not everybody else was going out and drinking and i think also the when i was breathalyzed and the amount of alcohol that i had in my system made me realize that although i was possibly only drinking four nights a week um that was just topping up and that probably i had been over the, the drive limit for probably about three years, regardless of, of how I'd felt. And, and one of the things that happens to you when you get, um, when you get taken to court, um, and I didn't realize this at the time, but apparently when they put you in the dock and you're behind the glass, that means that there's a risk of you going to jail. Thankfully, I didn't know that beforehand. Otherwise, I think I might have been slightly more um, nerve wracked than I was anyway but you know it, and it's the shame related to it as well mm. um, but one of the things that, that, that you have that you get given an option of is doing a course which will take six months off your sentence um, mirrored or, or backed up with medical tests to make sure because they can do tests that can check how long enzymes have been affected in the body by the alcohol so they know right. how much you've been drinking on a regular basis and it was going to the the course which i've always referred to since as the how how to drink and drive course because um they do basically tell you how to make sure that you're not over the limit and they go into great detail about how the body metabolizes alcohol and how long it stays in your system. Mm. And that kind of really shocked me a lot. So, you know, it's not happened last summer and it probably won't happen this summer, but in most summers when people are out celebrating weddings or 21st of parties or whatever, the majority of people coming home from those are driving over the limit. Yeah. So any given Saturday or Sunday morning of a summer, I would say probably 50% of the people on the roads at eight, nine o'clock in the morning will be over the limit. 
Do you think? Do you think that's a big problem? Is the fact that there's just um, a bit of a, a lack of education around around it to some extent, and and that that goes yeah, into like the culture as well. And you don't realise until you stop drinking, you don't realise just how pervasive it is in our society. And because it's been six years now since those first few weeks when I had to try and get through a week and a weekend um, every day trying to avoid, you know, um, going out for lunch with your team at work. It's you go into a restaurant or a pub. You know, there's the smell of it in the air. Mm. Um, the be handed automatically handed a list that gives you a choice of what alcohol you want to put in your body next. Um, so there's there's all sorts of things that that you're just not aware of until you're no longer feeding that addiction and 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 feeding that need. And and it's it's it limits you really, you know, if, if you wanted to even just go a week, and I know people who have done dry January in, in, in normal times will, will recognise how difficult it is to go anywhere um, and not be confronted with alcohol. You know, I, a... I there was whole aisles <laughs> in, in shops I had to avoid, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Like when you, when you look at it from like a bird's eye view, if you were like an alien coming from outer space and, and you heard people talking about how, you know, they're, they're going to treat themselves to essentially poisoning themselves is, is their treat. Mm. It's like, cause obviously mm. it's a toxic, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a type of poison. Right. So, you mm. know, that, that the idea that, you know, and, and obviously, you know, it's all about quantities, which is where things go downhill, but, um, ultimately it's still, it still is a, it still is a toxin. We, we need to take it seriously. And, uh, it's, it is a strange thing when you look at it like that, that we think of, uh, it's like a lot of treats, I suppose, even nu nutrition, people think of like, you know, addictive sugars and processed foods as, mm. as, as treats where I suppose it depends on what your idea of treating yourself is. I suppose the, the question is what is, what, why is it a treat? Is it because of the feeling that you get from it or is it really the taste? And I suppose when people are honest about themselves, maybe it actually is, about the feeling that they get as a result of consuming it rather than, oh yeah, this tastes amazing. And uh, you know, I mean, let's face mm. it. I mean, there, there are a lot of alcoholic drinks when you think about it, they don't taste great. Like <laughs> they're, they're just what, what, you know, it's about the, the side effect um, <laughs> of it. Am I right? Or I, I would completely agree. Yeah, I would think I, I would agree. And I think it goes back to what I said about the whys. So, um, you know, one, if you've got an addiction to something, it's, it's, it's more, so there's, there's, there's different ways and I can't speak for other addictions. Um, but there's, there's a lot of interesting information in um, the AA, what it's called the big book. And right at the beginning, there's a doctor's opinion. And this goes back to the 1930s and the medical profession still cannot decide on why one person would be addicted and one person is not addicted and that's why you get the phrase um one drinks too many ten drinks is not enough 
because ah. it's that craving that starts within your body once you put that into your mouth. So it doesn't necessarily have to, to taste nice. Um, so, for example, I could I could have been drinking. I mean, brandy wasn't something that I was ever massively fond of. Mm. But towards the end, if that's all that was there, I would drink it because it's not the taste of it, it's the effect of it, but it's also the why of it. So why are you going out and buying those four chocolate bars? You know, one is more than enough. Why do you, why do you feel a need to have the four? It's, and, and it's a phrase because you're eating your feelings. And there's one, one of the great things about um, being an AA, now I've never been to a rehab centre, so I don't know what's involved in that. But with the AA programme, it's one that has um, been duplicated. So if, if you've got somebody who's got a drug addiction, um, you've got you know groups like Narcotics Anonymous and um, Cocaine Anonymous and, and things like that, that follows exactly the same 12-step programme, which is one of the best self-counselling support group networks I, that you can get, and it's free. That's the most amazing thing, to think that you've gone for years um, you know, day in, day out, drinking to blackout, waking up with, you know, what we laughingly in, in reenactment call, you know, um, unidentified beer-associated injury or, or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> um, and yet you can walk into a room of complete strangers one day and never drink again. That's, mm. that's the astonishing power of the support program that you've got there if you if you follow it you know it, it's and and there's a few issues you know for a lot of people with it particularly because it's still using vocabulary that's now what 80 years old now and it was very male oriented um the language is very um, middle class oriented as well because it was set up by a stockbroker and a doctor so it's um, it can be a struggle for people that perhaps don't understand the terminology and the words you know you've got to sit there with a dictionary to understand what, what the hell that sentence meant and then you, oh okay I get it um, yeah. so it it's but when you boil it down for, for any addiction it's it's really I think the why um, and you can have, so my, um, my, my blackout requirement was, I look right now, I, I shouldn't laugh, because, but it's just, you just think you skank. Um, it was, you know, a bottle and a half of Frosty Jack's 7.5 cider, because it was, it was cheap. I can walk 10 steps over the road and, and buy two three-litre bottles. So, because one three-litre bottle wasn't going to do it for me, I needed that extra bit to get to complete blackout. Um, but I was working out that on any particular evening of, of drinking, um, I was getting a good 36 units inside me, which is the equivalent wow. of a bottle of whiskey, which is a lot. when you, And you're doing that four days a week, four nights a week, but then still getting up and doing a four days' work. And nobody so that... knew that there was an issue. Yeah, so that, that brings me on to, well, two questions, actually. So the first one is, you know, just uh, what I'm, that brings up a good, a good thing, like, you know, at what point, my first question is, what what point would you, 
start to see some signs that there's a bit of a slippery slope here and, and this isn't just casual drinking now like when you start surely when you're starting to seek cheap alcohol just for the sake of like you say mm -hmm. getting that feeling I imagine that that's a big sign that this is more than just a bit of alcohol dependence that this is this is a slippery slope to bigger things the second yeah. the second question was what was the first route to, to take an action that you took what was the what was the very first thing that you decided to do um so in terms of when you know it's it it's an issue it's it's yeah when when you're starting to look it, it, it'd be a case of you know you're changing your drinking habits so you're wanting you need something stronger you need more of the same thing um and you're seeking out ways to do that um maybe you've changed where you shop because you don't want them to know how many times a week you're buying it so you'll shop in four different places so they only ever think that you're buying it um you know once a week mm. um for me i i didn't i very rarely drank in the morning but if you're drinking before midday a weekend it's very easy to do um especially when sports are on tv um you know the other thing that i that um was a big thing for me in the winter so reenactment in the summer rugby in the winter i had a season ticket at northampton um so it was always be a case you know you get your double you'll you double pointed to take to the stands and you know so although you weren't starting that early in the day you know you're still starting to drink at 2 30 in the afternoon which is you know now now you look at it from a normal point of view it's a bit blooming early um so you know if, if you're going out for for lunch and, you, and you're meeting friends for lunch at a weekend or what have you and and you're having more than say one or two glasses of wine with your meal and then you're carrying on um that suggests um or would suggest to me that for me looking back was it was a sign for mm. sure that um your habits are changing so it's it's time of day what you're drinking where you're getting it from um if you're doing any if, if you're hiding your drinking habits in any way whatsoever either from somebody else or even trying to kid yourself then you probably need to ask a few questions but for me there was no there was no argument it, it was it was my i was arrested on the saturday night and it was in my first AA meeting on the Monday. Wow! So you took you took fast action then. So that was your yeah first your first kind of thing is is you 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 obviously had them on your. Did you think you had on your mind um, AA before it all this happened? Yeah, I'd had I'd had a couple of conversations. A couple of friends had been concerned um, because of of one or two behaviours, should we say? Um, and I was, I was, I was never, um, there was never any violence or anything really with, with my drinking, but I, I became, I was such a real maudlin drunk and there was issues that would crop up every time that eventually once, once I almost hit that, that tipping point um, from being happy drunk in, into, you know, maudlin upset drunk. Um, so there'd been a couple of conversations and a couple of people had said, you know, well, slow down. Um, and I'd had the thought, but it's a very hard thought to have to yourself. 
it's yeah. a very hard thought and 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 then the harder thought is i can never touch this stuff again never for the rest of my life but then on balance you've got to look back and say well you've had plenty you know do you really need any more over your lifetime mm. um but it does mean a, a complete change for me it meant a complete change of, of lifestyle and complete change uh, way of life knowing what you know now about alcohol as a, as a whole and and just everything you know obviously life experience and stuff what what would you tell your if you could if you could coach your younger self like what would you tell your younger <laughs> self even if it's in the earlier days like before that became what you would class as a, as a problem what do, is there anything you would tell you, yourself um so that it didn't get to the point where it, it did become you know you know two drinks two so two or three social drinks didn't become something that became more dependent i guess yeah there's probably one or two um opportunities that i had to change my way of life um what was interesting for me was um that that step one is about life has has become unmanageable um i didn't I didn't really complete my step one until I'd been a year in the rooms and a year sober. Um, and my unmanageability was the fact I was in the wrong job and had been in the wrong job for a very long time because I neither had respect for the job, um, respect for um, some of the people I was working with, um, but I didn't, I didn't see that as... I saw that as being a problem with me, not necessarily the fact that I was in the wrong job. So, yeah, I can see points which I just said, get out now while you can. Um, you've got the opportunity now to change your life, change it for what you want to do, instead of having got into this corporate treadmill. Yeah. And then it was it it was it was too late for me to do anything about it. So I didn't. Um, I never really knew from, from an early age at school, you know, people always say, I always knew what I wanted to do when I grew up, as it were. I never did. All I knew was that I just wanted to get to university, get an education, because there was no way I was going to stay at home in the middle of nowhere. And what was my option? Go on the packing line at Glaxo. And that was about it. But I'd always, <laughs> I'd always checked my entire life, my entire career one. I'd always checked about, I should have just been a bloody hairdresser or I should have just been a bloody beautician. And 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 I am. <laughs> so um, not not quite in the way that I, I joked about it, but so, so, so for me, I would go back and I would probably say the opportunity when I left London, don't go back into, um, into what you were doing you know, change, even perhaps if I'd taken the marketing into a different sector, it might have been different. I don't know. Um, because it's, but I'm a very people-oriented person and it's a very, it was a very people-oriented um, business that I was in. Um, but it did mean that I, there was just too many opportunities to to drink. And, and it, and, and it, it normalized it what it's not a case of it was normalized it was expected of you almost mm. i was going to ask you about that because obviously so, culture is a big thing isn't it like like you said mm. the uk does is well known for having a, a strong drink, drinking culture let's say and um 
I suppose, I don't know if that, I mean, I guess one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is because, you know, the, the um, we've seen that the stats on alcohol consumption rise dramatically through the pandemic. I think Waitrose reported um, wine sales increased by a third um, and, and beer sales increased by 50% during this um, Obviously, lockdown. that's not that's not a stat I, I I've been looking at, um, but is that over and above what would have been sold in the pub? This is this so is the question. Got, yeah, yeah, yeah. So has it gone up that much? Mm. Um, but the other thing I suppose to look at as well is at least if you're out in the pub drinking, there are certain societal norms and um, behaviours that you have to maintain i mean obviously there's we still see what goes on in city centers with youngsters getting drunk and 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 you know falling all over the streets and everything like that but there's still an element of being outside and being seen that will maybe put a break on on how much somebody's drinking when you're drinking in your own home and nobody can see you it's no holds barred really you can have as much as you want yeah, um, I actually just pulled up the page, the and it's, it's, yeah. I just wouldn't. So I just wonder all... how many how many people are doing, and and that was the other thing that you that we used to say is that if you're doing more drinking in in the home and also on your own, then um, then there's an issue. But where else are people going to drink at the moment? Yeah, yeah. You know, we've we've all seen the let's have a Zoom meeting and get your favourite tipple type. I'm doing it tonight. I'm hosting a, a party tonight where I'm pretty sure most of the people who I'm I'm hosting for will have a glass of wine or, or beer or whatever in their hand. So it's it's such a norm that it does make it very hard. Um, to a not normal phase. Yeah, I mean, I guess on the subject of that, do, do you miss having a drink? Like in, in this social occasion that you've got, yeah. you know, you do? Oh God, yeah. What is I it that you alcohol. miss? I loved having about... a drink. <laughs> I miss the taste. I miss, um, I miss the smell. I mean, I still have, I still have drink dreams. In fact, um, not so very long ago, um, I had a lovely dream about a few pints of Carlsberg export. It's very tastes very nice in Northamptonshire. Um, so obviously we make it here. So yeah, it's it's the smell, it's the taste, it's the association, it's the whole with the smell as well. It it, it gets into your olfactory system and gets into your limbic system. So mm. you then have associated feelings of good times. Um, you know that 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 you've had and and. Um, you know, it's uh, every occasion is associated with it in a sense. So, you know? so what are your? Uh, you know, you obviously got you clearly miss some, some aspects of it. So, what are some sort of? I, I don't like the term, but coping strategies, I suppose, is one term that people use. Like, what what are some strategies that you use that help you stay like sober, like you are, because 
you know, I, I do know for a fact that there are many people out there that have really suffered with the stress of the pandemic. They, they know that they're maybe not alcoholics, but they also know that it's probably not doing their health much good to be consuming, uh, you know, wine or beer every night. So what, mm. what are some, you know, if you can give the listeners any tips or strategies that would help them? Well, and, and, it's, it's, it's hard because we've been very lucky that the government has recognized that, that um, what we as alcoholics have is a serious health issue um, and there's a lot of complicated mental health issues around that. So every Saturday, I'm still going to my women's and sobriety meeting. I can meet with up to 14 other women and talk about my problems with alcohol, talk about how I'm managing um, to get through lockdown. Um, I, and if you don't um, do that, um, you can, and quite a few of us have, I mean, I, I did, I went out and bought a bottle of vodka a few weeks ago, and that was a sign for me. I didn't open it, didn't drink it, but I was just so wound up, angry, stressed, anxious. Um, I just had a fuck it moment, excuse the language. Mm. Um, and, but it didn't, that's as far as it got, but that for me was enough of a sign to kick me back into the rooms because I'd been neglected my, neglecting my own programme. Um, I... <laughs> What I would say to anybody who really does think that they, they've got um, an issue it is to get in touch with AA. I mean, if, if anybody has, I mean, I don't mind speaking to people. Obviously, anonymity is the key thing with AA. Um, so any, if, if, you know, they wanted to um, get in touch with you and you can pass on my number, that's absolutely fine. Fantastic. Um, but what you. I would say is def definitely look for a meeting and get to a meeting. If, if you seriously think that you may be alcoholic, um, alcoholic, no, that's what the <laughs> drinks are, and alcohol, words, um, for, for, for those of us who have already gone through that, one, one of the things is, is you know, the, there's lots of stuff that, that you teach and LPT teaches, it's, it's self-care, you know, a lot of meditation, so my, de my days start with, um, prayers for want of a better way of, of, of saying that and we, we get given some so um, my first my first few months in, in the rooms the serenity prayer was being said on an hourly if not half hourly basis which is grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference the point with that is it helps you to deal with any situation that is putting